Game of Thrones, especially in seasons seven and eight, really stretched our suspension of disbelief in terms of how sentient and intelligent we're supposed to believe these dragons are. Like, one moment they're supposed to be feral, and another moment they're supposed to be wiser than humans. Like, metaphorically burning down the Iron Throne. I'm like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. It's been two and a half months since we started this journey, leading you and holding your hands, uh, talking all things Westeros, Fire and Blood, uh, House of the Dragon, and we are finally at the end of season one. It has been a wild ride, uh, a lot of mixed emotions. Some people liked it, some people don't, obviously. I think most people liked it more than didn't like it. But we're finally at the end of the season, and we get to uh, sit back and do a retrospective uh, and also discuss what happened this episode because a lot happened and um yeah she's about to get real <laughs> i i love the fact that they ended at, on a cliffhanger but i know that everyone is like itching to know what happens next but unfortunately we have to w- wait a year to get all that good tea um but before we get started and and, and talk about everything that happened this episode and you know take a retrospective retrospective on the season we do have some admin stuff that we would like to talk about um, there is a, an article that's being published on industry today. Uh, Bankley wrote that article and, uh, I got, I saw a little bit of a sneak peek of it. Uh, I've, I haven't watched industry yet, but I was like, damn. Okay. So, I have the articles fire. <laughs> yeah. So please. I've watched industry. So take it from me. I should watch industry. Honestly, I've just spoiled. I've, I've been spoiled it for myself at this point, but <laughs> I'm still going to want to watch it. Um, but yeah, please read that article. The link will be in the description for anyone who wants to read it. Please read it and share it. Also, we will be discussing the second season of The White Lotus starting from next week. Please uh, tune back in for another show, House of Dragons Ending, but there's a lot of more stuff that we get to talk about on the podcast. Uh, so please tune back in to, um, to hear discussion of The White Lotus. And also, The Rings of Power is out. Uh, this has... Sorry, the final episode of The Ring of Power is out. Uh, so popcorn for dinner can stop being fantasy for dinner. And we can embrace other mediums and art forms as we discuss. Are yeah. there other mediums and art forms? <laughs> hey, <laughs> at they, some point, they we even did exist? <laughs> we did Succession and we did um, Better Call Saul, but that's not fantasy, you know? We just go through Yeah, the trailer for Succession Season 4 is out. They said, oh, yeah. they said spring 2023. So. Yeah, I know. It's uh, global warming needs to act faster so spring can come. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> But yeah, as always, um, we are your co-hosts, um, it will be an alpha and we'll be discussing House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 10, titled The Black Queen, directed by, I don't know who directed this episode, actually, do you know? Greg Yatanis, the same person who directed Episodes 2 and 3, I believe. 2 and 3, ah, okay. First of all, the initial thoughts, how do you feel about the episode? Well, I, I may never wear green again. <laughs> uh, I... I, I am in mourning for the loss of my good brother. And, <laughs> you know, I, we knew this was coming. Um, in our little tinfoil hat calculations, we figured out that this is probably how they'd end the season. But it didn't make it any easier because, my goodness, seeing that stuff on the screen is very difficult from imagining it in your head. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, I mean, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll reach some more details about that. But I think overall, the episode was nice. You know, 9 and 10, I kind of figured that they would be sort of sibling episodes in a sense, you know, because 
you know, you have Viserys' death happening at the end of eight, and really all that's left is the aftermath and how people are going to react and how those reactions might lead to further conflict. So episode nine, the Green Council, I mean, once I saw the titles, the Green Council and the Black, Black Queen, I knew that we'd be looking at Alison's perspective and Rhaenyra's perspective, because as episode six title says, you know, it, this is a story about the princess and the queen at, at its core. And um, I think it delivered, really. Episode nine was kind of a slow burn type of thing where it didn't feel like much was happening, but a lot was brewing under this um, un- un- under the boards <laughs> and <laughs> and behind the scenes. So I think I think it was cool to see all that dialogue um, come to life in episode nine. And I mentioned that last week, um, but I think it's the same thing here. There's a little bit more action. Um, there's a lot more fire and blood in terms of the way people are talking. There's a lot more passion because these guys aren't the quote-unquote offenders in the situation. They are the ones reacting and trying to defend. And I mean, their defense was so sort of targeted that when Otto had the guts to show his face, I was like, is this guy going to make it out of here? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely gave him an interesting welcome. But yeah, lots of interesting dragon usage in the, in the episode, lots of interesting dragon themes, um, lots of themes of family, lots of personal conflicts, lots of self-blame. I think lots of stuff was explored um, in, one, in, in, in one episode that normally they may take like two or three to do. Overall, I definitely liked the episode. Yeah, I, I thought it was better than the last episode. And not just because of like... Yeah, the, I, I can agree with the, that. <laughs> not just because of the fact that the characters I love are back on the screen. But, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel like season episode we'll 9 was your a agenda. slow burn. <laughs> episode 9 was a slow burn um, building up towards Rhaenys' scene escaping um, the dragon pit with, on, on Maylees. But I, escaping, I felt like... You mean f- failing to, <laughs> as, as some people would say... <laughs> I mean, we, we hear her reasoning a bit more this episode. It's like she's part of this conflict and she knows that there's a war going to be, but she doesn't want to go down in history as the one who... It's who not her war, war to start. Like, it's not her that, war that's, to a, start. that's a very fair thing that she says. Yeah, it is. But um, I felt like the build-up towards the conclusion of this episode... I mean, the build-up were similar. I obviously prefer this build-up because the characters I love are here. But I felt like the payoff, like her just escaping like that, just it, it, it didn't happen that way in the books, but it just felt a, a bit like... I don't know, like why, you know, and, and when I, I saw the episode, but the build up, the payoff on this episode, I felt was a lot more like intense and like I was, it felt a bit more rewarding. But at the same time, this payoff won't have happened if like the, what happened in episode nine didn't happen. So it's one of these things where I understand why things were done the way to give us this payoff at the end of um, episode 10, but it was just to me the stronger out of the two episodes. And like you were right, there are siblings epi- sibling episodes. George does stuff like this all the time. In the original book series, book four and five are written like kind of parallel, you know, because the story gets so big, he splits it up so that um, book four is what's happening in King's Landing and Dorne, and book five is what's happening in Marine and the North, you know. But they kind of happen at the same time. But uh, yeah, Rhaenyra obviously had like a stand-up um, episode, this episode, you know, she... Uh, uh, I keep there was a lot of foreshadowing to, uh, as to Luke's death because she did spend a lot of time talking with 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 Lucerys this episode and you know her sweet little boy and you see he's like he he's concerned that he's not going to be a good ruler and that's like a lot of those insecurities are being shown clearly and so like, much Rhaenyra camera footage on his face yeah yeah exactly and Rhaenyra is such a good mom compared to Allison at least you know her I mean he. Her son thinks she's perfect. And obviously, we know Rainier is not a perfect person. She's made some decisions where we're like, 
you know, what are you doing? Whereas like, Alison's kids know for a fact she's crazy. <laughs> 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 like, she's not crazy, but I feel like they think she's crazy because yeah. they feel like she's kind of unhinged, but then she feels like they're also unhinged and she's like, I don't yeah. like any of you. That's the thing, like, yeah. Rhaenyra's family, they love each other, but it's not strange. Like, they actually also like each other. There's a difference. Yeah. In Alison's yeah. family, that love is kind of just there, like, biological reactions and such but yeah in reality they're like oh my god i don't want to be around any of these people yeah i i, I think that out of the three siblings like that we've been introduced to you know, out of um of allison's kids i i can't think of any one of them who seem to have a good relationship you know Aegon and Lelena is like no amon and Aegon is no we don't know that much about helena and amon but like at the same time, the fact that we don't know anything is telling because we know about Jason Luce. We know about Joffrey's still a baby, but we, we, we know, you know. Yeah, I think Rhaenyra is a, a good mother and she's mm-hmm. raised good kids. Um, if only Viserys had married um, um, Rhaenyra to Daemon all the way back then, maybe these children would have, you know, had to, they would have first of all grown up with Daemon as a dad, which, which is badass, but also maybe they wouldn't have had to deal with all the scorn that they've had to, to do with all their lives. But at the same time, we wouldn't have had the twins. And I love the twins. They're they're pretty chill. They're like, I don't know, the Serena and Venus of the, even though they're not twins of Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. That is very true. One of my, I was talking to one of my friends about, uh, about the show and they've been watching, listening to the podcast and they were like, is, do you think Daemon is bipolar? I, 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 I th- I'm not like, I, I can't diagnose anyone, but like, homeboy goes through like what seems like mood swings and no, well, not mood swings, but like hot and cold in the, in a lot of ways. It might not be intense as some other characters I've seen on screen, like, uh-huh. you know, shameless, like their, their mom, Monica, but like maybe Damon is bipolar, man. Cause a lot of his descriptions, you know, view him as sometimes being the best hero and sometimes being the best villain at the same time, you know, and that conflict is just, it's, it's, it's I love the character. He's a, he's a very good character. He's a hero sometimes, he's a de- he's a villain sometimes, and yeah. Yeah. Bipolar, that's, that's an interesting thing. I feel a lot of people watching the show have been getting mad at the writers because I think that's just what people love to do these days, get <laughs> mad at writers. Yeah. And... In all honesty, I'm gonna I'm gonna use one of my um uh, one of my we'll get to that cards for this actually because I have some things to say about people getting mad about writers, <laughs> but you know people were saying stuff like you know Damon is doing this then Damon is doing that like these writers clearly have different understandings of who this character is supposed to be and the contradictions show up in the script. Now that's an interesting mm. way to look at it, I suppose, um, because you know maybe. There is some truth to that. Um, I think it's that Damon is more of a complicated person. I think maybe they, these guys are on the same page about who Damon is. Sure, they might have slightly different understandings, but I think they're on the same page as to what needs to be shown to the audience. Yeah. Um, as far as being bipolar, I mean, yeah, like bipolar disorder comes in like different forms. Yeah. Um, Typically, there will be like manic episodes, which I guess they, one might say some some of the things Damon does could be qualified as manic episodes, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Um, but typically, it's like there's huge mania, and then there is huge like depressive, um, I guess depressive periods, right? So, yeah. um, it kind of takes a break from reality sometimes, um, sometimes as well. So there would be like some form of absence of mind, like psychosis or whatever. So I don't know if we can go as far as to say David is bipolar, but yeah, he he does seem to have a kind of mood swings because I think 
it's less medical and more in terms of he doesn't really know what he wants. Yeah. I think he has an idea of what he wants, but he's not sure what he should want because, you know, in this episode, people were talking about how, or I guess kind of the audience reaction I've been seeing is kind of like people want to believe that he's dredging up his old feelings of wanting to take control and wanting to be the heir. Um, when he's at that council and you, everybody can literally hear Rhaenyra screaming for dear life as she's trying to give birth. <laughs> it's like, okay, she, he's here trying to call shots when she's explicitly said nobody should be calling shots. Yeah. Um, and so she's there and then like, you know, Jaceris shows up and he's like, yeah, don't do anything. I, I saw that as, as Damon trying to make sure that they were prepared. Yeah. I think some, a lot of other people saw that as Damon trying to take power for himself and be in control yeah. while Rhaenyra isn't there, or maybe like rule through her. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't really think that's the case. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that 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 would that, that that even benefits him at this point because I think there's real love and equity in their relationship. Um, at least most of the time, um, or at least for pretty much most of what we see. So he crowns her queen. You know, he wants to be there for her. I think I think it's um a bit unfair to see him trying to protect his family as him necessarily trying to seize power. Like, sure, it's 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 a possibility. I'm I'm not going to say that it's impossible. But I, I, when I was watching that, I saw that more like the looks on his face and stuff. I thought that was kind of more of him trying to push things to the side mentally because last time he was in a situation where his wife was pregnant, it didn't go well, right? Yeah. So. He was kind of hoping for the best and trying to make sure that things were done that she would want done. But yeah. it took Jaceris kind of appearing to remind him that, like, you know, Rhaenyra wants measured responses, not fully aggressive ones. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that because um, all the times when Rhaenyra was like, when Rhaenyra built him in, he, he always came, like, reeled in. Like, when she, when Jaceris said, chill, don't do anything to Rhaenyra's back, he didn't. When he was willing to kill Otto Hightower, um, he will, and Rhaenyra said stop, he stopped immediately. And was, he, he listens to her, and he, I mean, he's crowned two people king. He gave his brother his crown symbolically at the end of episode 8 or whatever, and he crowned Rhaenyra in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like his ambitions to rule the, 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 the realms have changed, but he understands what Otto Hightower is. You know, he, I mean, the, the second he heard of Viserys was that he immediately assumed that they killed him. And he knows that Otto has no other play than to try and kill them, which is what Otto wants. And so he understands that these people are not trying to have a peaceful resolution. You don't usurp a throne if you want, like, peace. You, you, you When you usurp a throne, you know war is coming. And Daemon is like a wartime prince. He fought in the Stepstones. He's, the, well, that's the only war he's been in, to be honest. But he's, he's bred for conflict. And he has a dragon who also has a very fiery personality. And, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's trying to protect his family. In my view, I mean, it's I I would rather like you can make the argument that yeah, he is making moves while Rhaenyra is in his on like giving birth, and we'll t- I want to talk about that actually after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like if they do, even even if Rhaenyra dies, like that doesn't mean her claim dies with her because Jace will be heir to the throne, and I feel like if Rhaenyra would die and died giving birth, she would die knowing that Daemon isn't just gonna like abandon everyone else, uh, abandon her remaining children. He's going to fight for them. And I think that's just who the character is. I, I think that him and Rhaenyra in, in a lot of ways are soulmates and they obviously are going to have disagreements. Damon is ready to go to war. And there's a theme of this whole show about all the men just want to go to war. They just want to go fight. 
and all the women are, are, are the one exercising yeah like, like i said last week the men in this in this world don't think far yeah it's just all right this happened let's go kill each other and that that was which is why you know when Otto came came to give the message to rainera like i can tell that allison gave her the page of that so that book that Otto gave rainera was a book that was shown in episode one or two when um they were kids and they were reading a book that they liked together so that was kind of like an olive branch from um from Allison being like, this doesn't have to go to war, you know, even though I'm still in your birthright, this still doesn't have to go to war. And, you know, it's just the men are just like, okay, let's kill everybody. Let's murder this entire family. And the women are like, why? No. Like, Rhaenyra says that if we can take the throne without killing Otto and everyone, won't you do it? Why not? Well, isn't it worth exploring, you know, peaceful resolutions rather than just immediately trying to kill each other? But honestly, after the way this episode ended, I think peace is out of the window. That was a cool indictment. Like her asking that question. If you could do this without killing anybody, would you? Yeah. I think she was trying to point out like, bro, if winning the war is your goal, like should we focus on winning the war? Like why are you trying to yeah. fight where we might not need to fight? Yeah. And, you know, them looking at each other from across the table before she says clear the room. Yeah. You can see these like you can see a charged interaction is coming. I mean, there are lots of scenes in this show of Damon looking at people, yeah, and basically sizing them up. Yes. And the, the, I guess this, yeah, sure, this is the final one we get for the season. But I think there's it's, it's very potent in that it brings you know their relationship into question. There are a lot of insightful moments that we get in this season, actually, like in the entire season from. Damon and Rhaenyra just having conversations. And I thought this was an interesting one. One of my favorite parts of it actually was when she talks about, you know, the prophecy and she just mentions it like she's supposed to know. And in my mind, I was laughing because I have never once assumed that Damon knew this prophecy. Yeah. In fact, I specifically believed that he was never told because yeah. why on earth would Viserys tell him? Yeah, so well, that's sad because that just means Viserys never saw him as his heir. He yeah, he was never like, sure. Yeah. I mean, why would he see him as his heir before his own child? Yeah, I mean, well, exactly. So that I think was just a moment of sadness for. I mean, obviously, I understand why that why he did that, but like I can understand Damon now feeling an extra layer of betrayal. That damn, damn. That means I really was I suppose, never the heir, but like, not even like in your mind, you know. I suppose, but like he put his hands on my queen's neck, and I'm, I'm, I'm not okay with that. Okay, like but, I know you, I know, bro, I know you want to fight, but this is not the person you're fighting with. This is the person you're fighting yeah. for. Calm down, get your head out of your ass, and let's, <laughs> and let's understand what's really going on here. Because, yeah. like, what, what, what is it with that strangling? Is, is this you lashing out because you realize that there was a prophecy that you were never told? Like, yeah. why are you taking that out on her? Why? Because you can't her. take it out on your dead brother. Yeah, this this, I mean, this is bad behavior. <laughs> Don't do this. But yeah, it's just so much about like the men wanting to go to war and the women um wanting to urge restraint and try and find a peaceful resolution. I think that someone like Otto Hightower views that restraint as a weakness. And I think it was, I, I probably should have mentioned it last episode because when he was gaslighting Rhaenyra, I'd be like, oh, you look like your mother. And I'm like, bro, she's actually a player in the game and you should treat her as, as that. Wait, not just, wait like, you mean Alicent? Like when we were talking to Alicent? Okay. When we were talking to Alicent, yeah, yeah. And um, I think the character like Otto views that restraint as a weakness, but it's not a weakness. It's like, it's a move that doesn't have to result in mindless violence. And as, as always, the men again at the end of the episode, you know, Eamon One Eye being like trying to bully this kid and not thinking that these dragons are like, dragons are wild animals, man. Viserys said in episode one, like, we think that we control these beasts, but we don't. Yeah, that's, and, that's something I've yeah. been thinking about a lot in this episode. Me too. My favorite line from the whole season. And I've been thinking, for some reason, I don't know why, I've been thinking about this all week. The idea that we control the dragons 
is an illusion. Yeah. And that's such like if if we think like we we think about it as just a line, right? It's an interesting and insightful one. But then if we think about it in the context of everything we just saw in this episode, like that's such excellent foreshadowing. Yeah, it is. Because you have two guys who didn't watch the movie How to Train Your Dragon. And <laughs> they're essentially lost in trying to make sure these mythical beings actually listen to them. I mean, there's some criticism there, I suppose, in the sense that um, Game of Thrones, especially in seasons seven and eight, really stretched <laughs> our suspension of disbelief in terms of how sentient and intelligent we're supposed to believe these dragons are. Like, one moment they're supposed to be feral, and another moment they're supposed to be wiser than humans. Like, metaphorically burning down the iron. Yeah, like, I'm like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just make, they, they, they weren't really making up their minds with that. And yeah. I think this show has done a, a good job of fixing all that. I think there's a good balance. And I think that exists even in this moment where they're not, you know, really listening to their writers. Vigar especially, because, you know, Vigar is way older than any of these people. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that was a bit of an excessive response. I don't like the bullying here. I, I don't like any of it. And yeah. despite that, <laughs> Arax was trying to escape, then decided, you know what, I'm not going to okay. esca- just escape yeah. like that. I'm going to try burning. And then when yeah. Arax came back and burned, I was like, Luke, what are you doing? But then I heard Luke screaming. He's like, Arax, no. what what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, oh, you're not in control of this situation. <laughs> but the, for the crazy the crazy and sad thing is that Vig, like, there's a negligent amount of fire and Vigar just like, all right, bet. I bet. <laughs> he said bet. <laughs> and then and she finds, she literally just finds, like, these people finally managed to escape. I, I don't know. Like, Watching, I've watched that scene maybe like five times now. Same. And I can't, like in all my calculations, bro, like they, ne- they never stood a chance. No, they didn't. Like I'm, I'm looking at it, there's no way. Like the only, po- the only potential chance they had would have been if at the point they got above the clouds, they had kept flying. Yeah. But instead of stopping to look around, like maybe he yeah. should have been looking around while they were still moving instead of being stationary because you yeah. were looking around, he looked away and then he gets chomped. And yeah. it's so brutal because, you know, Vega, obviously Arax is a smaller dragon and it's said to be actually quite small. I think the size of Arax um, in this episode is portrayed very well, very accurately. In fact, that whole scene from the point that just that, that Luke gets to Storm's end is like word for word accuracy from the book. They really wanted it to feel like it felt um, in there, and I and I think that was that was a nice job. But Arax's size, we weren't we weren't ent- entirely sure how different it was in terms of Vega, because obviously Vega is the biggest dragon alive right now. We didn't know how big, and now we we know thanks to the show, we can. It's not just something in our imaginations; we can actually see it. So uh, that whole like that shot from from below where Arax is flying and then you can see yeah. Vega, that, that was shadow, menacing. That was beautiful. Kind of like a horror movie type of approach to it. Um, yeah. That was, that was a good use of sort of camera angles and it's so amazing because like that whole thing is CG. Like these guys are really pushing it with the CGI. Yeah. Like Vega shows up, bites right in the middle, like one bite, kind of just like chomps down maybe like once or twice, and these dragon is in pieces, actual yeah. pieces. Like I was, the people I was watching it with, like one of them, one of them looked at me after like a few moments. I was like, "Wait, is he dead?" I'm like, <laughs> "I know you don't think Lucera survived this. Like, I know for a fact that you. There is no way. Like even if he wasn't just like stabbed by giant knives in the form of dragon teeth, 
he's falling into the sea from like yeah. above the clouds. Like that nobody is surviving that. There's that no is. blood of the dragon that is saving you. <laughs> no, like is. it was like, it was wild how that happened. He was the size of Arx was the size of Vigor's mouth. Like literally, I think he could have swallowed him in one piece. Like, if yeah, literally, like, literally, no she bites. could have just like ended it right then and there. Like one of the pieces is even still there. Like she's not listening to Imond at all. He's there, like no Vigor, no Vigor, serve me. And it's like you guys, you guys have all failed. Like yeah, you should have listened to Dragon Keepers. Who, I mean, Dragon Keepers, they 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 continue to impress me. Okay, like when Dim was like, okay, conscript the Dragon Keepers, they're formidable fighters. I'm like, wow. <laughs> And that actually makes sense because they're not just supposed to like tend to the dragons. They're supposed to protect them from anybody who would try to do anything stupid. So yeah. of course they can fight. That makes sense. And yeah. I feel like these guys didn't learn a lot from, from them. I mean, uh, it was nice because Arax is, was so nimble. A smaller, younger dragon. Of course, it makes sense that um, he'd be able to move as fast, especially since Vigar being so old is kind of slow, even though she's yeah. powerful. That's kind of like the trade-off there. Yeah. And if they weren't in the storm, Arax probably would have escaped just, have escaped. just because of speed. speed Even if yeah. Amon wanted to give chase, by the time they got to Dragonstone, like he wouldn't have been able to actually land there and follow. Like he would have been seriously outnumbered. It wouldn't have made any yeah. sense. And even Vega would have known that. Yeah. But just because of that storm, like there was just there was, there was really no way. And it's sad. It's 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 really, really sad. Yeah. And one of the things that really gets me about that is the fact that Rhaenyra you know, like you said, she's been she had been talking to Luke throughout the episode. We'd been seeing his reactions to different things, and you know, we we saw how much conflict he was having internally about potentially becoming the Lord of Driftmark. He said it could have it should have gone to Vaymond. He, he calls his mother perfect, and she's definitely not, as we know. But you know, like you said, the fact that she, that he thinks she is says a lot. So I think Rhaenyra sends him to Storms End because it's the shortest flight. Like it's really, really short. This is literally like a an hour or less flight there, an hour or less flight back under normal circumstances. And just like Jaceris literally has to go to both the Vale and the North. Like he has to go to Winterfell, literally. So he should have been back before anything. And but and, and you can see this really is just the effect of a storm. Like it seems like it's nighttime, but it's not, because as you can see, once they get above the clouds, there's light. Yeah. Right? This was all this all this happened in the span of like you know, an hour or so, like an hour, two hours. And it's just sad yeah. because she wanted to protect him by sending him close, but she in, she inevitably sends him to his death. And she carries that with her basically for the rest of her days because she was trying to protect this guy and give him time to come to terms with who he is and what his destiny could be. Yeah. And, you know, it's cut short by her brother and she feels um, complicit in that because she ended up making it happen. But speaking of complicity and culpability Amond 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 yeah. his sapphire eye first of all was badass he should be thankful he looks badass with that eye yeah um, he should not have tried to bully that kid like the, the one one of the only differences in that how that scene played out in um, Ormond's Baratheon's hall was that in the books um, when when he's leaving basically one of Ormond's daughters like goads him to be like yo are you are you really gonna let this kid you know, cut off your eye and just leave for free. And he's like, all right, bet. Yeah, what is what is it with Baratheons right and just like not thinking <sighs> things through? I don't know, man. I don't know. They, they, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even the Ormond, he can't, he can't read. I love hilarious. I was like, wait, is he just like lazy? No, it's from the books. He couldn't read. That is why he actually can't read. Yeah. I remember, and I remember that as like Boros Baratheon, Lord of Storm's End, illiterate. 
Yeah. That's wild. It was a whole, it's a whole thing in the rest of the restaurants, how like people, most of the people that can't read because it's, it, it's, um, based in, in many ways off a period of, of, of history where education was basically locked or the ability to gain an access to an education was locked. And the Brathians obviously could learn to read if he wanted to, but that just shows you that this is a proud man who's just like, I don't need to read. I can swing a sword. Yes. Yeah, How toxic, stupid do you need to be mask. to say something like that? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's, you can actually, like watching that scene, another thing I saw was just the point where Amon realizes he's really messed up. Yeah. Right? He's like, no, Vega, Vega, listen to me. I, I think in the book, it kind of, it comes off that he was really trying to kill trying this to kid. to kill him, yeah. And that makes sense that it would come off that way in the book because the book is written by historians who weren't there. Yeah. So the insight we're now taking from the show is that he was really just trying to do a stupid bullying thing. Maybe yeah. he wanted to hurt him a little bit, but he didn't want to kill him because that would yeah. really start the war. Yeah. And now he's killed him and he's like, okay, now what's this? The look on his face. Honestly, man, you were just supposed to secure a marriage pact and get an, and like some, some and fealty, and right? Yeah. And you come back and you've, you've killed this person's child. Like this wasn't yeah. what you were supposed to do. Like this is somebody who's always trying to fight. And now he's been given a fight. Fight. He's, and then all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden he's like, you can, this is such a face of sobriety. He's yeah. like, he's like, like, he just woke up and he's like, oh, <laughs> damn, like, yeah. I'm, I can only imagine what happens when he gets back and he tells Alison. So what happened was like, <laughs> I ended up killing the guy. Like this guy showed up. I didn't expect him, but like, you know, I, I was just messing with him a little bit, but then like I couldn't control Vigar and now he's dead. And Rhaenyra might be coming for us a lot quicker than we thought. Yeah. Like, what do you even do with someone like that? There's yeah, somebody who was saying he should be king. I beg. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, so this whole period of episode nine and ten is what's called in the books the the war of the letters, where both sides are just writing letters, vying support, seeing who's going to support them, who's going to be against them. But all that ends when Lucerys dies, and then the dance of the dragon starts. Because if you see the final scene, that look on Rhaenyra's face, we're talking like that is not the Rhaenyra we've we've seen this whole time. This is a different character. It might as well be a new time skip because she is pissed off. She feels like she just sent her son off to death. And like it, it sets the tone for for how this conflict is going to evolve. Because I mean, you, it was obvious that this was never going to, this show was never going to end with peace. It was a lot of it was just figuring out who's going to fight who. And now we know who's going to fight who. We know it's the blacks versus the greens. And the blacks have, sorry, the greens have struck their first blow intentionally or not. Yeah, the year one hundred and twenty AC. Yeah, shit is uh is getting real. But um, something that it's um, so we we followed. Um, we didn't even, we, we first saw this character loose in episode six, and then there was a time skip in like episode, what, episode, going to episode eight. So we saw two characters in two, ep- we've seen him basically over like three, four episodes. And th- this is one of the problems I've had with this season, because I love the time skips and I understand why they were there. And I got, I love getting to see the characters grow up. I love beating the kids. But there was something about the loss of Lucerys that did not feel as intimate as the loss of a character like Viserys, just because we haven't followed him as much. And mm-hmm. which is one of the few cons I can, I can say over the entirety of the show. It feels more like a tragedy than a loss, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's just like, oh, this happened. Damn, I'm sorry for Rainier, but I don't actually feel sorry. F- I mean, I do, but I don't feel that personal sorriness for Lucerys in the same way that I did when, you know, um, Viserys died. Because with Viserys, we followed him for eight, ep- eight, eight episodes. We've seen him at his strongest. We've seen him slowly deteriorate. We've seen him contemplate his love for his wife who died. We've seen him, his dreams, his wishes for ambitions. We've seen him, his mistakes, him learning from his mistakes. 
him trying to just resolve everything on his deathbed, you know, and um, with Luce, we've seen him, but we haven't also been like two different characters, sorry, actors playing the character. So there was just a, a bit of a, his death was imp- is impactful to the story, but it didn't feel as impactful to me as, a, as someone watching the show, as someone like when the series died. I get, I get you on that. Um, I do feel a bit of a connection to the character, but I can understand how like, you know, that's nothing compared to what would have felt for Viserys, who in a lot of ways I will actually probably just go out on a limb and say is the emotional heart of this season. Yeah. Um, Paddy Considine was seriously kind of carrying the, some of these episodes on his actual back. Was. And you can, you can see his, his, his presence is missing the last two episodes, which is one of the reasons why they didn't slap as much as the previous episodes. Yeah. So I guess, well, final verdict is, is Eamon culpable? Or, is, or are we just going to blame this on Vigar? Amen. It's Amen's fault. Vagar is like a. It's like when my dog like pisses on shits and like, why am I taking him to a public place when I didn't take him for a walk? You know, why are you taking this this beast that yeah. has been in numerous wars and using him to like play around? I think he's gonna listen to me. No, he's yeah. a, he's a dragon, and you know, like like you said earlier, you know, the the idea that the Targaryens control the dragons is an illusion, and this and Amen one, I believe that he had control over Vagar. Yeah, because Vagar likes him a little bit. No, we... do, do you think the dragons maybe, like, if we're going with the idea that the dragons are somewhat sentient, do you do we do yeah. you think they kind of want a war? Do they want conflict? No, no. I mean, these these dragons are they are... bored? <laughs> no, I mean, but okay. So I'm just, I'm Vagar, right? And obviously, if as a dragon, I, I want to see things different. They have a different like instinct, and I evolve differently. Blah blah blah. But I'm just chilling, and then this guy who I kind of like and let hop my back and fly me, and I fly him from place to place to place occasionally. It just says he hops on me and, and basically urges me to chase down this smaller dragon who I've met a few times. So I'm just following him, and then this dragon, my my rider is trying to be aggressive. I'm like, okay, I'll go along with him. Maybe you want to kill him. Maybe he's your enemy. And then this dragon thing comes to burn me. Like, what the hell? Like, get out of here. What the hell? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Vagar did. Vagar the dragon. I don't think did anything wrong. Maybe Arak shouldn't have attacked Vega, but at the same time, I have two dogs and they're very small, and they're always barking at bigger dogs like like they could do something. I'm like why? <laughs> I don't know why. They'll rip them up. They're tiny, and that's literally oh what happened God. in this episode. Um, I don't think Vega did anything wrong. I don't know why Arak attacked Vega. Maybe he felt threatened by Vega, but the mm-hmm. only reason why he was threatened by Vega is because Aemon was pushing Vega to be a threat. He was stalking him, man. It was crazy. Yeah, and um, I guess Arax went into defensive mode, fi- fight or flight mode, and he chose to fight instead of flight, and that cost him and Lucerius their lives. Yeah, which is just unfortunate. While we're on the topic of dragons, actually, um, Damon does mention that you know they have the advantage. Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of like um power versus perceived might in a sense because the Greens have um legitimacy in the eyes of the people. They have the upper hand there, whereas the blacks have, I guess, the strength that comes from, you know, the number of dragons that they have and the Valerian fleets. And Damon says that it's like 13 to 3 in terms of dragons. So yeah. I guess thinking about that a little bit, um, by my count, the three dragons would be, like on the green side, would be Aegon's Sunfire, Helena's Dreamfire, and Aemon's Vagar. Right, and mm-hmm. then on the black side we have Caraxes, written by Damon. We have Cyrax, written by Rhaenyra. Um, there's Vermax, Arax, R.I.P. and <laughs> Taraxes, written by um, Jace, Luke, and Joff, Rhaenyra's um, sons, 
by Harwood. I mean, Leno Valarian. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we also have um, Sea Smoke, who's still on Driftmark chilling since Leno is no longer around. Mm-hmm. And um, we have some wild dragons as well, like dragons that aren't claimed, aren't domesticated, like basically like the stray, dro- stray dog equivalents. I know it's kind of a new concept uh, to a lot of people, but that it really is a thing. There are dragons that are kind of just around and you don't want to go near them because they don't know yeah. you and that's dangerous. Um, there's also Vermithor and Silverwing who are still alive. And we see Vermithor briefly in the episode when Damon's singing that old Valyrian song that and he's carrying that. Yeah, that that was pretty nicely done. And yeah, that dragon that he's trying to, you know, lure out of the darkness to come say hi, like say good evening, sir, can I get your help? That is <laughs> Vermithor, who was actually ridden by Jaehaerys, the old king that we've heard so much about. And Silverwing was a dragon ridden by his wife. So these are yeah. old dragons, very big, very powerful, formidable. So, you know, I think they're setting up some stuff for the beginning of season two where you know, some people might be getting some dragons. Yeah. Um. Maybe Reyna will finally get one. I know she, that was like a point of contention for her in her in, in her childhood. Um. And that's one of the things that started this whole thing. You know. But um. Maybe there'll be more people who show up to ride these dragons. And actually, even thinking about Reyna, you know, let me put it this way: Luke's death right now, in my mind, is the cause for the bulk of this conflict right? This is what I'll call the point of no return, right? But the thing is, we can say if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't have gone to war. But this is something that can be said of so many things in this series, right? Yeah. Stuff like, you know, if Eamon's eye hadn't been cut out, if Reyna had been the one to claim Vigar, which is what they wanted from the beginning, but she didn't do it, right? If um, Reyna had eggs that were hatched, if Lena didn't die, if Lena had been married to Viserys, if Viserys had married literally anyone else, <laughs> quite literally anyone else other than his daughter's best friend, yeah. right? You know, I think one interesting question is which one of these potential things, and even some that I haven't mentioned, um, and if you're listening to this and you have any in mind, please let us know, like which one of these really deserves it the most? Again, in my mind, yeah. it's it's Luke's death, or rather, Amon's murder of Luke, that um, deserves that phrase of like, if this didn't happen, we wouldn't have gone to war the most. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Are there any others? I mean, uh, it, the, the Luke's death is, you're right, is the point of no return um, because you can't undo that by anything. You can't talk it out. You can't make a deal. He's dead and now you have to deal with it. But I think the, the Kickstarter will always be the first one, which is Viserys marrying Alicent. Um, but who do we blame else? for that? Do we blame Viserys? Do we blame Otto? I blame Otto. Otto played his cards. Like, if, okay, if I was Otto and I wanted, like, my son to be, my grandson to be on the Iron Throne, then that's what I would do. It's Viserys who made, Otto cannot make Viserys do anything because Viserys is the king. I mean, mm-hmm. Viserys fired Otto at some point, you know? It's, yeah. It was Viserys' decision. And, um, yeah, he divided his family and he gave power to people who would, are now challenging his, his legitimate heir and have killed one of his grandchildren, you know. I mean, his son has killed his grandson now. It's a kinslayer. It's, but everything yeah, in the middle that's that his happened, second nickname, by the way. He's Amon yeah, One Eye, and then he's also a kinslayer, and this is the reason. Yeah, um, but everything that happened in the middle, like, I, I say it all the time, like, it's 
even if it didn't happen, it wouldn't have changed anything. You know, when Viserys died and Alicent is like, Viserys told me on his deathbed that Aegon Aegon should be king after him. And everyone is all like, oh yeah, we had already been planning that. That just shows you that that was always going to happen. No Um, respect. Oliver was always going to plan that. And the stuff in the middle adds flavor and tragedy to the the conflict, but ultimately it was always going to happen. I mean, Rhaenyra is when she found out Viserys died, like, it's triggering her, her miscarriage. This is, what, the fifth I've lost track of how many, like, you know, child, um, um, ish, um, scenes of childbirth we've seen, but this one was one of the ones. This is um, maybe the, the one, one that takes the kick. Yeah. No, for me, the first one was. Well, was Emma. The, the okay. Yeah. True. One. That Emma's was very gory. Was daunting because they literally cut that child out of her. But I feel Ugh. a lot more compassion for Rhaenyra because she's just a character who I love. Probably my second favorite character in this third favorite. She's one of my favorite characters in this time period. Um, <laughs> And um, just seeing her go through that, just after hearing that her brother stole her throne and then the baby dies. It's, I mean, the books, the baby was like a monster with like wings and scales. But maybe that the baby actually wasn't all that. And that was just like stuff that people just wrote up because they want to be chaotic. But yeah, that another, you know, pregnancy, another childbirth, another miscarriage. Well, not yeah, another miscarriage. But just just when you think Renira has escaped the, the curse yeah. of bad pregnancies that's, plaguing, that's plaguing the show. She's had five, She's had five kids, successful, bir- all of them boys yeah. too, which is like. Yeah. <laughs> In Westeros, that's a big thing. It makes you wonder, like, why didn't the Blacks prepare for this better? Mm. You know, I was talking before, like, in I think in one of the, um, our previous conversations about how she knows Viserys is dying. Like everybody knows this guy's time is limited and yeah. you know, they spent six years away from King's Landing and then they came back and immediately left. There is no way I would have left that place. <laughs> there's act zero. Like there's no way. Like, okay, didn't dinner didn't go well. It's like, okay, we should return to Dragonstone. What? Man, honestly, if like they had stayed there, I think they would have been killed. I think that exactly how the Rainies got locked up in the room is like who, who so who found out that Viserys died first? It was Otto's people. So it's possible that Otto would have still found out first and then just sent guards to and kill killed them. You really think so? Like, would it, when they were it, it would not have been it would not have been that easy. Like Why? they would have been armed. In their rooms, when you're sleeping, if you bring ten guards, like, even if Damon has like a Valerian steel sword, it's GG's. I mean, like, yeah, if, I know, but if still. they wanted to kill um, Rainies in that room right there, and then you know she was dead, right? Yeah, true. But the thing is, I feel like I feel like there would have been some type of way for someone on the black side to also find out in a similar time frame. Because mm-hmm. well, I feel like Damon maybe, would have had maybe at least one informant. But anyway, I mean, I'm yeah. grasping at straws so here. I, I guess, guess that it comes down to a battle of information. Yeah, because I'm just like, if Odo knows first, they're all dead. If, and that's like a gamble, you know. If Otto knows first, they're all dead because we've seen that he's willing to do that. Yeah, especially um, that you mentioned Rainey's because she's doing a lot in this episode. Yeah, yeah. without doing much, all those yeah. looks that she's giving people from the background—I yeah, was loving it so huge. much. Yeah, I know, and I love how Corley's ad- admitted to her that she was right. And yeah, like, I'm done with all of this. And that then, I- ironically enough, she turns around and she's like. She basically says, yeah, I was right, but now we have to fight anyway. Because these aren't my grandsons, but you said they are grandsons, so I guess I'm going to have to accept them. And, you know, if Aegon is on the throne, these boys are going to die. So we have to, our side has been chosen for us and we have to fight. So it's cool that she might just actually convince him. You know, it's like, oh, things aren't going well for me, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, I'm going to fight. It's like, I didn't have any place here. When he said that in the episode, I was like, are you stupid? Mm-hmm. you're not the only person at stake here you're supposed to be leading yeah. this you just left them anyway it's good that she convinces him 
I remember <laughs> she's like this like badass grandma, like both shows, Game of Thrones and um, House of Dragons seem to have just this this wise, cool maternal figure with like yeah. the like the quick wit and everything. Olena, right? Uh, Olena Tyrell was yeah. there and now we have her and she just she just has an interesting journey. Like she yeah. clearly supports Rhaenyra throughout the episode, but she doesn't bow until she's completely sure that that's what she wants to do, what she wants to yeah. declare. Like she's essentially like, let's see how you do first. Like how are you going to handle these initial moments? Yeah. I remember she, when... Rhaenyra won her over. Yeah. I remember when like David... Because in my own dragon count, I didn't mention Millie's. And that's out of respect for... For Rennie's because like when Demo was doing his own, he's like, oh, we have Caraxes, we have Zach, we have Millie. And she was like, huh? You have who? Huh? You have who? <laughs> <laughs> nah, that was uh, crazy. But was. actually, I, I, I mentioned that I that I get to people being mean, mean to writers. And I just need to say like, I, I don't want to get too mad, especially since I know the people who listen to us have sense, they have class. Okay? <laughs> but there are other people on the internet that need to lay off Sarah Hess, okay? Lay off Sarah Hess. People are saying that she's the second coming of Benioff and Weiss. What on earth would you be saying such nonsense if it was a man who was writing? Like, this is so stupid. She, she, I think she, she, was, she was one of the writers on, last, on the previous episode, mm. right? So the idea for Rainey's coming out from the ground was hers, right? And mm-hmm. people are essentially saying that that was so unnecessary and that it creates some contradictions for some things that are going to happen later in this series that Fami and I cannot tell you about. <laughs> but let's just say that some people are kind of mad and they're assuming that the writers haven't considered everything. Okay, you, you know that this stuff is going to happen. Great for you. Do you generally think the writers also don't know? What's wrong with you? Please, stop, don't make me angry. I, beg. I don't I actually don't have energy. So please, like, lay off Sarah Hess. Like, we don't really need to get into this whole situation of, like, let's blame the writers for every small thing that doesn't happen exactly the way it is in your head. You're not that yeah. smart, okay? Yeah, and if you were, you'd be a writer. So yeah, just like, you haven't written a screenplay before. Just yeah. please keep quiet. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best not to swear at you, but you're making me very angry. <laughs> stop it. So <laughs> I will swear at them. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like... um even um, the details of Randy's armor, um, they were mad cool, honestly. Just attention to detail in this episode is fantastic, as always. Yeah. Production value on point. Yeah. I mean, she, when she, first of all, I was wondering last episode when she was able to put that armor on. Like, was it just inside? <laughs> does she have like a glove box on the dragon <laughs> where, she, where she can take out such things? I don't know. Because uh, she barely even, like, Rhaenyra had barely enough time to process the news before she starts going into violent labor. You know, yeah. and you and know. I think that that was a the news kind of pushed her to have a premature uh, labor. Unfortunately, <sighs> also something else we haven't. I don't think we've talked about this, but Rainey's her mom was a Baratheon. Like, yeah, just to add an extra layer of tragedy. Like, yeah, her mom was a Baratheon. Killed, who killed Lucerys, who is like technically her grandson. You know, Michael Jackson kids. But uh, the people who killed that were her cousins. Like, that's someone who she's related. Well, to, to be fair, part. the Baratheons had nothing to do with that. They probably could have kept Amond inside, but Amond, that's that's all Amond. Boris even says, not in my house. Like, yeah. But I, I feel like again, there there's like action and there's inaction and there's action through inaction. I think that, that was an action through inaction by mm. Boris because he knew what the fuck. Amon is just like, I'm gonna kill you. And he Boris like, not on my on my house. Take Lucerius out of here. And Amon's just like, Okay, bye. What's he gonna do? He's gonna go try to fuck with him, you know? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean I guess it goes back to one of the reasons, and that's another reason people are mad at the, at the writers, the fact that she didn't burn them. But uh. 
that's kind of annoying, to be honest, because the people who are complaining about the dragon coming out, contradicting a certain thing that we can't discuss, like wanting Ren- Ren- <laughs> wanting Rainies to burn those people is literally going to achieve the same thing that you're trying to avoid. Yeah. Um. So maybe pick a side, but in any <laughs> in any case, um, in that moment, Rainies was finally able to actually be the most yeah. powerful woman in the realm, which yeah. is something yeah. that they skipped over and didn't give her. Yeah. Um. And Ramin's score in that moment was insane. Beautiful. Like Beautiful. that that was a well choreographed, a well scored, a well blocked yeah. moment. And also, uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to point out that like Rainier was not pissed off at Rainis for that decision because she understood. It yeah. was only Damon that was pissed off. Yeah, because I, Damon is unhinged and Amon yeah. is clearly more unhinged than he is. Yeah. I, um but I like how the men wanting violence and I guess I'm a man too, because I wanted I wanted her to burn them then and then. I'm like burn them. To be fair, I, I do I didn't want her to do that. Not just because uh, it wasn't her war to start, but because it it would it just in the eyes of the people, like just in world, we've just been we've given this guy a whole lot of legitimacy. We've given him the crown of Aegon the Conqueror. We've given yeah. him the sword of Aegon the Conqueror, which was wielded by Viserys. We've anointed him, according to the faith of the seven, with oil. <laughs> and we've done it in the dragon pit, surrounded by the masses. Like, mm-hmm. burning all those people right then and there, and then Rhaenyra coming to say, yeah, like, this is your actual queen. That would have left a really bad taste. Like, they would have just, yeah, she would have gone down as somebody who murdered her brother, who everybody believed was the actual heir, or the rightful heir, so to speak. Um, just to take the crown for herself, she would have just gone down as another scorned woman. And I feel like it just wouldn't have been as good for their side as people think. Yeah. Um, it, the symbolism there is interesting. Like Otto says that every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. for now, you know, <laughs> but th- there are some things to note because that crown he's wearing, yes, it's Aegon the Conqueror's crown, but it's also the crown of Megor the Cruel because Megor wore yeah. that crown too. And yeah. back then, when um, Jaehaerys took over, he had that crown put away because they wanted to kind of shed the effects that Megor had had on the realm. And the crown that Jaehaerys wore for his long reign was was that really nice golden one that we've been seeing throughout the series because yeah. that's the same crown that Viserys wears. Viserys wears, and that's what Rhaenyra is wearing. Yeah, so th- there's an interesting sense of symbolism in there in that, you know, Aegon... Um, Alicent's son is wearing the crown of, of Aegon the Conqueror and Mago the Cruel and Rhaenyra is wearing the crown of Jaehaerys and Viserys. Yeah. You know, that already is kind of dropping this um, ideological divide between these two factions. It's yeah. kind of painting them as so, somewhat good and evil, but also there's a sense of like power and action versus like, you know, restraints and, and kind of sort of like subdued might in a way it's like yeah who's really right here you know and i think that does a good job of of um sort of demarcating that speaking of which um eric made it in one piece (laughs) so we thank god for him and uh, we thank god for the other king's guard who weren't burned alive yeah though i don't know if like what else were they supposed to (laughs) say you know i mean if they're I feel like some King's Guard, there's been a history in Westeros of some King King's Guard choosing to die. They would have said it and they would have died then and there. There's, there's one brotherhood, I suppose. I mean, even Eric says, like, he's like, um, stand down, brothers. I mean, no harm. Like, don't worry. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that, like, and I've said it before um, in our discussions, the King's Guard, like the Night's Watch, is a sworn brotherhood. Like, the, the only difference is that 
you know, they have much stricter rules and there can only be seven at a time. But yeah. it really is an ancient order, or at least as ancient as the as the the Targaryen dynasty. So at yeah. this point, it's been going on for for a little while. There've been there've been a lot of them, and yeah. the fact that he chooses sides here is interesting. In this episode, we is one of the rare moments where we see all the King's Guard together in the same place when they're on yeah. that same bridge where yeah. Otto and Damon are talking again, like they did in episode two. Yeah. Now he's like. Like Damon is is a lot more mature than he was back then. He's not just seeking mm-hmm. attention; he's acting with purpose, right? And we see the King's Guard on his side. We see the King's Guard on the other side, and we see that Eric and Arik are on opposing ends. So, you know, hopefully they don't have to fight because that might be sad. But mm-hmm. oh well. Yeah. Um, Rhaenyra looks good in that crown, though. Yes, it really suits her. It, it suited her. I was like, damn. She looked very regal, way more regal yeah. than Aegon did. Like Aegon, yeah. Aegon looked like. They had just like fished him out of a gutter, like put <laughs> some small lotion on him and said, like, okay, go and stand there. Which yeah, is basically what like happened. His parents were related. He looked like his parents were related. It just looked yeah. like a corny little fuck. It was it, it it was cool, honestly, seeing seeing her like that. So, yeah. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I like I like T V violence as much as the next guy, okay? Like, <laughs> when it's when it's necessary, I I think it should be there. But <laughs> normally I try to kind of keep a little bit of restraints on it but in this episode when Damon was like I would rather feed my sons to my dragon than have them carry shields and cups for your cut of a grandson like that was I was like you know what bars <laughs> I, I couldn't have said that better myself because what an insult he said places of honor They're literally hostages they're supposed to be heirs to the iron throne you want to make them cupbearer and squire are you dumb yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so. the, this series is really shaped by the second sons of, of the world, isn't it? Uh-huh. Daddy issues. Otto, Damon, <laughs> even Damon on some level. Yeah. Lucerys. Like being yeah. a second son is just like um, Larry Strong as well. You know? <laughs> like being a second son is just is, is dangerous business. Yeah. And it's, it's very pivotal because these are the guys who have ambition because things aren't just handed Depends to them. And yeah. I, I think that's kind of cool. Contrasting between Rhaenyra and Alison, you know, Rhaenyra is actually in control of every sit- of every conversation she's in, yeah. even when she's on the back foot. Yeah. Like, even you can see it as an example in episode eight when she's talking to Rhaenys about betrothing um, Jason Luke to Bela and Rhaena, right? She's in control of every conversation. And that includes when she's talking to powerful men. Yeah. Even if she doesn't win ideologically the argument or whatever she's actually in control of what she's saying she has full yeah. agency over her story and that's in stark contrast to Alison's experience where like Alison only really knows how to be a pawn yeah. and that's something we addressed last week in in this situa- situation she's using her own son as a pawn too because like i said jaharis was putting Megar away by using that crown um the new crown made of gold that viserys also used even though viserys was also using blackfire um the sword you know there's something ominous in the idea of Aegon the second a pawn of Alicent, who is a pawn of Otto, mm-hmm. using all these symbols, because like Aegon is like the new Aegon. He doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, there's something symbolic in Rhaenyra carrying on the will of her father by wearing Jaehaerys by wearing Jaehaerys's crown. But like she has that purpose. She has she has that sense of duty, and she wants what's best for the realm. Whereas Aegon kind of just wants to masturbate out of windows and rip <laughs> Right? He's not doing great. Like he doesn't want to be here and. You know, like like I, like I asked last week, who is this really serving? It, it's crazy. Even the King's Guard, they are in shambles as well. They are divided. 
um the king's guard i mean this is probably the beginning of the end for them like they've had a whole bunch of like good people but then from here they start to have like really weird people until they get to the point they are in game of thrones where like you have people like Merrin trunks and oh, boris blunt and all those other foolish people that waste man like joffrey orders them to beat little girls and they say yes mm-hmm. howard westerling would never have done that yeah you know so and now Kristen cole is here i mean we'll see how that work how that plays out in season two yeah so yeah so much happens episode Rhaenyra is so pissed off Rhaenyra is pissed i feel bad for her man and i love i love the way they ended it that final scene was a, i think a very good way to end the season it's like this show is about the dance of the dragon and we're the person who turns happen. around after looking at that fire to mourn her son that's a different human that's being a different guys. Person. that's not Rhaenyra. <laughs> that is that's not the, the same Rhaenyra. person might as well do another time skip this is a different character um it's just so interesting because i remember the the scene where they were talking about they were doing the dragon counts like after we've seen the end of this war yeah there's 11 13 dragons on one side five on the other but like those dragons are not like they're not do you control them who controls the dragons the dragons are just beasts that like operate on their own rules and laws and the targaryens feel like they the dragons essentially license they they, they license their agency. It's yeah. like, okay, you can have this control for a little while, except in certain situations where I'm going to take control back. And you have no idea. They're wild creatures. The yeah, it's just like, yeah, I li- the dragon, like, I like you, but man, I like me more. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to act, act in my interest. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm like Damon singing. That the visuals on that scene where Damon is singing, when he puts on the torch, and then you see um, Vermithor, Vermithor stand up. It's, it's reminiscent of like, season eight episode five or six when when danny six when danny lands and then drogon flies off from behind her you see the dragon wings just show up as it mm-hmm. almost looks like danny has wings that's like one of the most In fact, there's even more there's, there's even more exact parallel for when um Daenerys executes varus yeah also in season eight She's standing and she's like calling out a sentence and she's like sentence you to die and then drogon comes out from the darkness yeah, behind yeah, her yeah i see it that was that, that was, was interesting. Yeah. I would really I'm looking forward to seeing what um Vermithor um up to. does next and yeah. who who actually ends up riding that dragon. Because like I said, these dragons are up for grabs. I don't know, maybe there's gonna be some kind of like dragon rider audition. But that's, that, <laughs> that sounds dangerous to me because if they don't like you, you get burned alive. Yeah. Right. See, that's even another thing. I was talking about points of no return. What if Vigar hadn't allowed Eamon to claim her? Right? What if she had just burned that kid? That would have exactly like when you play the what if game, it's just yeah. There's just some, and I think that's that's just such a good testament yeah. to, to the writing because if we can find so many things that's like, well, if this hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened, you know, that's proof of the re- of the real sense of um realism in here. Like this, this is like a believable series of domino effects. Yeah, and that's nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting uh, to think about how much would have been averted if emails existed in Westeros. Just send oh an email God. to Boris Baratheon. You with me? Question mark, question mark. <sighs> my yeah. thing is, they probably could have done that, you know, with the Ravens, but they wanted to be more convincing with Dragons. Yeah, they, I understand. Them. It was a good play. It was a good play. Um, mm. But speaking of plays, who do you think played the episode? I am going to say Rhaenyra, just mm. because the restraint that she showed made sure that things didn't go as bad as they probably could have. This, yeah. This could all have been worse, but my, the only my, the only sad thing about that is, well, now they've killed her son. Yeah. <laughs> so that restraint is probably out the window too. Yeah. And God knows what's going to happen at the beginning of season two. Yeah. I think uh, maybe, if I, I, to me, I, there was no clear one for me this season, but I'm just going to go with Sir Eric, you know, because he gave Rhaenyra the crown. 
And uh, I think he, you mean Eric. That that exactly sums up how I view the twins. I don't know who's who. <laughs> say Eric. Uh, say Eric, who gave Rhaenyra the crown. Um, as a part of a layover because he helped um, Rhaenys escape last episode and then he can yeah. still follow through. So I'll give it People to are actually asking like, oh, he's probably going to get there before her. I was like, in what world is he going to get there before her? In fact, I think in the book, they even flew on the dragon together. <laughs> that guy came back almost like a whole half a day later. I yeah. mean, speaking of, and I, actually, I, I should probably also mention that that was a very tough day for Rhaenyra. Mm. Like, she wakes up, she's having a moment with her son. Rhaeny shows up with bad news. Yeah. Then she goes into labor, loses this child, has to wrap the child herself instead of the silent sisters because that's what she wants. She wants to have some connection. Cremates the child in swaddling clothes back right, right there um, with, like, candle fire. And then there's also dragons present. And then Eric shows up. And this is her lowest point. Then Eric shows up and, like, drops the crown, gives it to Damon. Damon crowns her. It now becomes, like, her highest moment. Everybody's bowing. Well, except Rainey's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, then it, it, then it, it, it child, yeah, she loses that child. She goes in and, you know, she starts the war efforts. I like how they all seem united in that scene. It's mm. a really nice feeling. Mm. You know, Bela and Rena look at their grandmother and then they go stand next to their betrothed to show that they're with them. Yeah. That was very cool. Um, at that moment, I was already feeling bad for Re- for Rena. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, God. She, she lost two so much pain. This episode, man. Losing two kids in one day after your brother has stolen your birthright. What is life? Being a woman is hard, bro. Hard, man. (laughs) I feel for Rainier. I really feel for her. Sorry, Rainier. I feel for her. Uh, But, okay, we've done who... Who do you say played the season the best? Because I think we're kind of in that introspective feel where we're looking at the whole season as a whole. Or do you need more time to to get an answer? I think... I I think... um, I think there's several answers, and I w- and I probably need time to get into it in depth. But for now, I'm going to mention somebody who I think is a great contender for that, and that actually is Rainey's. Rainey's, okay. And that's because she's shown a lot of restraint throughout the season and has acted now at the time that she feels is best to act. Yeah. She was wronged. She was passed over. She was cheated from her own birthright. But she decided to play her role and choose her family. Yeah. And that worked out interestingly for her, even though her family was still trying to, you know, avenge her loss, especially Corliss, right? Yeah. But, you know, she she held fast in really keeping her priorities in the same way because other women in that we've seen in this world in her position would have done things very differently. Like, if Rennie's was Cersei, there would have been a war long ago mm-hmm. because she would have been like, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And then when when the person started to show restraint, she would have been like, well, this is why you're a coward. Yeah. Or some nonsense like that, trying to, like, attack the ego. Like, Cersei was really not not it, bro. But anyway, before I, I, don't, before I even start getting into all the problems I have with Cersei, um, yeah, Rhaenys did better because she ensured that there was no necessary bloodshed. She tried to just focus on raising her children. And even after all of that was taken away from her, like she said, the stranger has visited her several times in her life. Even after, like, even after all that, she still wants to make sure that she's making measured responses to everything. She chooses her husband's side because she knows that it's better for her family to be united and then change their minds together than for her to go against him in public. Like she has real class. Like she, she always wants to make sure that they seem united and they do. This is why people are always kind of looking to them. This is why people want the alliance with the Valerians. This is why they continue to be strong even when they have internal conflicts because 
they don't air out their dirty laundry like everyone else is doing, right? And now um, she was just captured and she managed to escape. She chose not to burn. You know, that was an interesting move. And, you know, combining that with her decision to not just support Rhaenyra, but wait until the right moment to show that she was supporting Rhaenyra, you know, all of that combines for me into a really well-played season for this character. We see where she started and we, like, right from the first scene, she's there at the council, right, in Harrenhal. And we see where she's ended now, offering to patrol the Stepstones herself with Melees. And she's very formidable on that dragon, just just so people know. Um, that That's really nice. Like, she's stayed consistent and she's also grown to be more accepting of certain things. Because obviously she was annoyed with Rhaenyra, but she's moving through to kind of show that allegiance and make sure that her conflicts are not passed down to her children and grandchildren. Like everybody's doing a bad job of keeping things contained in that regard. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone actually comes close. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a close second right now. Like I said, I'll have to go in depth to figure that out, but I, I don't know if anyone else really comes close. Yeah. I, I think for me is Damon. Just to look at where he was when he started off when he is now, he's defending his brother's riches and legacies. He's, uh, Defending his family, he's uh, but he's he's king. I mean, technically, because Rhaenyra is queen and he's king consort, but he's king. He's king consort, and uh, yeah, he's raised badass childrens, and yeah, I think him. I mean, I, I, Viserys, I love you, but I want I want to see you, but it's not you. Yeah, okay. I mean, but best performance is Paddy for me, and no one even comes close. And they've been beautiful performances. I think Matt Smith is doing a fantastic job as Damon, though. He is. No, he is. Like, he is. Damon, he's exactly what I imagined Damon would be, and that yeah. is saying a lot. Yeah. Like, even if you look at, like, drawings of Damon, the way he's described and such, his demeanor, Matt Smith is just, he's like, doing a good job. just coalescing everything so yeah. well. Like, it's, it's, it's mad. Yeah, he, it's, he it's, is. It's really mad. Um, but for me, it's uh, Paddy. I'm, I'm just, I'm too much in awe by that performance just because Damon is a badass character. So, Matt Smith has a lot to work with. Like, Viserys is one of the most, he's probably the second most forgettable king, maybe third. He is... And like th- this guy yeah. just like n- he didn't have any real character traits. He was just a guy who had to make some decisions or not make some decisions. <laughs> and, you know, it led to a whole bunch of things happening. But pa- apparently Paddy, like I know we've been, we've been praising Paddy so much, right? <laughs> like you can look in the show notes of some of the previous episodes that like, you just see that we've been praising Paddy. Yeah. But George R. R. Martin is actually so impressed with him that he's like, I may have to go and rewrite some stuff in the book. <laughs> so that, like future, like future like publications of this book, like future printings will just have new information about this character. That's like, you, he did this, he did Cause like Paddy expanded the scope of what Viserys could have been. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like, yeah. I guess I've seen him in other things. I've seen him in Informer. I've seen him in Peaky Blinders. Seen him in, like, like he's a, he's a great actor and he's also a rock star. Like he performed at Glassbury with his band this year. Like people don't know that. The man plays music. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just an overall cool guy. And I'm, I, I, I was, I was definitely intrigued when I heard that he'd been cast in the show. I was even more intrigued when I heard that he was playing Viserys because I was like, oh, why did they need somebody this cool to play Viserys? Like, Viserys doesn't do anything. Little did I know. <laughs> Little did I know. Yes, Viserys didn't do anything, but he he did do it in style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, today's show was produced by Bankley Mokwede, Ibuka Namani, and Chinidu Heiji. Extra thanks to Jibs, a regular co-host. And to all of you for listening, this has been an amazing 10 weeks. I can't believe it's literally been 10 weeks. Yeah. But we've been your hosts, Ibuka and Family, and this has been Popcorn for Dinner. Still come back to Popcorn for Dinner because we're going to be having a lot of coverage of the White Lotus, 
we have um, some other shows coming up too and don't forget to check out the article written by Bankale on industry season two uh, we'd love to know what you think so con- um, continue to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts let us know what you um, are feeling on social media hit us up with your own thoughts and theories on instagram and twitter and yeah till next time <laughs>